Welkom by SL Gemeente Media. have some of the uh, best worship leaders here uh, anywhere in London, and so just so thankful uh, for this team. And thankful for uh, tolerating my English. Uh, I do appreciate that. Um, It might have been suggested that I uh, preach in uh, Afrikaans, uh, but then uh, whoever might have suggested that might have actually been wanting a very short sermon today, so that's... uh, (laughs) Uh, so I didn't take that terribly seriously, uh, but uh, welcome. It's a, a welcome. Uh, thanks for welcoming me. Uh, it's a, it's great to be here today. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with you. Let's just go to the Word. You know, that's the safest place to be. Uh, let's look at Luke chapter twenty-four, and then uh, we're going to go to Colossians chapter three. <clears throat> Luke twenty-four and Colossians three. I'm actually going to spend. Uh, I, I get to have uh, three weeks with you this time. Uh, I, I wasn't sure if that's because uh, Rian really trusted me or that he was really feeling desperate and wanted to get to South Africa as quickly as possible. Uh, but uh, it's a real pleasure to be able to do that. And we're actually going to spend uh, all three weeks in uh, the first half of Colossians chapter 3, uh, just a, a bit at a time. Uh, but uh, since today is uh, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Day, it seemed appropriate to uh, begin uh, with a reading from Luke 24. On the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale. And they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves. And he went home marveling at what had happened. And then to Colossians, the third chapter. Just the first four verses. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. May God bless to us these readings from his holy word. I don't know if... uh, uh, you ladies had this in South Africa, 
But I remember, it's probably back in the 1970s, maybe the, the early 1980s, uh, uh, a, a brand of uh, hose uh, called Legs. I don't know. Do you remember Legs pantyhose? You probably maybe didn't have that. Some, how many remember? Anybody? Anybody? Uh, okay, a couple. Uh, why is it the men that raise their hands? I, I don't understand that. You might be you know, wondering uh, why uh, I was so fascinated with uh, Legs hose. It's not because I wore them, but was, it was because of the container that they came in that made them quite memorable. Actually, the, the uh, brand name was spelled L-E-double-G. <clears throat> and they came packaged in a little plastic egg. And that was quite clever. And then you could open up the plastic egg and take out your hose. And, uh, and, and I remember it not for the hose, but, but for the plastic egg. Because they were a lot of fun to play with. And uh, there was this Sunday school teacher who, uh, uh, the uh, Sunday after Easter one year, this is many, many years ago, uh, she decided to, uh, to have the kids find things that symbolize new life. And so she had collected a whole series of these uh, legs pantyhose containers, uh, these little eggs, these plastic eggs, and, uh, and she brought them to the class. Now, in this class of eight-year-olds was uh, one child who was a little bit different. His name was Philip, and Philip had Down syndrome. And so as uh, kids do, they, they didn't really treat him quite so well. They knew that he was a little bit different. Uh, they sometimes teased him a bit, and they sometimes gave him a hard time. Uh, but uh, if you know anything about a child that has Down syndrome, uh, they tend to be very happy children and, uh, and very tolerant of many things. And so he just went along, and he was just happy to be part of the class. Uh, it's just a, an amazing thing. You sometimes think of these, these kinds of disabilities, uh, but uh, Philip wasn't aware of his disability. He wasn't really aware that he was different. Uh, he just wanted to be like all the other boys and girls and have fun. And so like them, he was given the little plastic egg. And the boys and girls, they were sent out into the, the garden around the church to, to look for things symbolic of the new life, of new life, and put it in the plastic egg. And so uh, uh, they all did that, and they came back together, and they put their eggs together. And one by one, the teacher would open up an egg, and it might have uh, a a green um, uh, clover, or it might have a flower in it, uh, or it might have a butterfly. And uh, all the uh, all the kids, when they'd open up and they'd see it, they'd go, "Oh, oh, you know, just like kids do, like that." And they got to one egg. And they opened up the egg and there was nothing in it. And the kid said, well, somebody cheated. That's not fair. There's nothing in there. And Philip said, well, that's my egg. And he said, well, you cheated. You know, there's, no, I didn't. It's empty. Like the tomb. And all the kids totally changed their attitude toward Philip after that. The powerful thing, the resurrection of Jesus the empty tomb. It's a reality that's there. We saw it in the, in the clip from the Passion of the Christ that you saw earlier. Jesus is alive. The tomb is empty. And no matter how many atheists try to explain it away, no matter how many skeptics try to explain it away, it is a historical reality. 
And it is a historical reality that we are to affirm every single Lord's Day. It's why we worship on Sunday instead of Saturday, uh, as the Jews did, because it was a day to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this day uh, of the year is the day when we uh, celebrate it most of all, when we remember that this is the day Jesus rose from the dead. And we rejoice in that, and we rejoice in that reality. But this is not just an empty historical fact for us as Christians. It is a living reality. And the New Testament brings home very clearly that if you are a Christian, if you are someone who has been touched by the Spirit of God, who has surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, who rose from the dead, then you are incorporated into the reality of the cross and the empty tomb. Paul spends a lot of time in Romans talking about how we have died with Christ. And all of that old stuff that was there, all the sin that was clinging on to us, all the problems that we had, all the brokenness that we have in our lives, all of those things are atoned for in the cross of Christ. Everything is paid for in the cross so that we die on the cross with Jesus when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. And as we die with Jesus, we also die to sin. We also die to the power of death. We also die to the the power of hell. And that's a reality in our lives. And also, we live with Christ. Just as we have died with Christ, if you are a Christian, you live with Christ. That we are alive. We are alive in a new way. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, we, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Now we know that that doesn't change the way that we look and, and that kind of thing. But we know that something is fundamentally different when we have faith in Jesus Christ. We know that the reality of the resurrection comes into our lives guaranteeing us not only a life in the world to come, but also a different quality of life in the here and now. And the resurrection power of Jesus Christ is a present reality for us as Christians, if you are a Christian, whether you know it or not. Now, many times uh, there are Christians who uh, think of uh, the resurrection power of Jesus a bit like you might think of electricity when you fail to use it. Your, your house might be wired up for electricity. You may have sockets on the walls uh, that you can plug appliances and everything into. You might have switches on the walls where you can turn on the lights. But unless you actually turn on the lights, you may never know that you have that electricity in your home. You could live your whole life without ever using the electricity around you, but it doesn't change the reality that the electricity is there. Uh, And that's the way it is for us as Christians. We have the resurrection life of Jesus in us and around us, and it influences everything and it affects everything if you are a Christian. Now, the key issue is whether or not you're going to acknowledge that reality, but even if you don't acknowledge it, it doesn't make it untrue. And because of the resurrection of Jesus, the power of sin has been broken You might still sin, but you no longer have to. The power of hell is broken. Uh, The demonic can have no control over you unless you give it to them. The power of death is broken. You need not fear death. 
because death is not the end. All of this is for us who are in Christ Jesus. This is the reality of the resurrection. And this is what Paul has been talking about here in Colossians chapter 3. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ. In other words, if then you are a Christian, you have been raised with Christ just as you have died with Christ. You're raised with Christ just as you've died with Christ. But this reality makes demands on us. Just like the reality of electricity in your home demands that you respect it, uh, i.e. you don't wet your fingers and stick them in a socket, uh, the reality of the resurrection and the resurrection life in you makes demands on you. You cannot live the same if you've been touched with the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul, in these four short verses, tell us some very key things about how to live in this reality. How to live in this reality. First of all, Paul talks to us about our orientation. The orientation of our lives. So he says, if then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. The first thing is we need to seek the things that are above. Now this word seek is talking about the orientation of our wills. It's not just about looking. It is about the orientation of our will. When when I first got interested in in my wife Karen, uh, before she was my wife, Uh, and uh, looking at uh, dating her and things like that, I decided to seek her. Now, this didn't mean that I kept looking for her around every corner, but this meant that I actively pursued her affections. I didn't just wait for her to come to me. I just didn't look, but I oriented my will toward this woman. And many of you men probably have the same kind of experience. If you're going after a job, a certain job, a certain career, it means that you need to orient your will toward that career. If you want to be an accountant, you need to orient your will toward that accountancy so you're studying for it, you're taking your exams, you're you're going after the job that you want. The same is true if you want to be a solicitor or a plumber or a teacher or any other role. There is an orientation of your will that's required if you're going to seek something. And that's what Paul is talking about here first. He says, you need to orient your will toward the things that are above. Orient your will toward the things that are above. Most of the time, what we do is try to orient our wills toward the things that are on the earth. We orient our will to the job. We orient our will to a a new house or a new car or a new place to live or a a nice holiday to South Africa. Whatever it might be, we're orienting our wills toward these things. And those things are, are not in and of themselves wrong or problematic. The problem is when we completely orient ourselves in that direction. And Paul says, no. You don't orient your will toward those, these earthly things, these things that Jesus told us are just going to pass away. But we need to orient our will toward things that are above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So we need to orient our wills toward Jesus Christ. Now what are some of the things that are above? Well, Psalm 138 
tells us that God has exalted above all things His name and His word. Above all things, God has exalted His name and His word. So if we orient our wills toward God's name and God's word, that means we want to live in a way that brings honor to God. I don't want to do things that dishonor my Lord, even though I tend to do things that often do dishonor Him. But I don't want to do those things. I want His name to be exalted. I want people to know me and see me and say, I can see Jesus there. Or that's what a Christian really should be like. That's orienting our wills toward His name. Also orient our wills toward His Word. It means we want to see the, the, the fulfillment of, of the prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we say, God, I want your will to be done in my life. I want your word to come to fulfillment in, our, in, in my life. I want to see the Bible leap out into my life so that my life is, is, is like uh, as it was written on the pages of the scriptures. And this requires an orientation of our will toward the above, toward the things that are above, where Christ is. This is the goal of Jesus. This is why He died. It's why He rose from the dead. And so as we orient our wills in this way, and and we're effectively orienting our wills toward Jesus Christ. And that's a, a, a way to summarize what Paul is saying. To orient ourselves, our wills, toward Jesus. Toward the things that please Jesus. And then he says something interesting there. He says, uh, seated at the right hand of God. What is he talking about here? The right hand of God was a place of power. And so when we're orienting our wills toward the things that are above, where Jesus is, seated at the right hand of God, it is a reminder that Jesus has the power to bring about the things that we're seeking. We're not just going after something that's empty, something that's void, something that's meaningless, something that's useless. We're going after something that Jesus has the power to bring about in our lives. Now, how can this work itself out in in our lives? It means that in your workplace, that you need to be orienting yourself toward Jesus Christ. You need to be seeking the revelation of Jesus in your workplace. It doesn't matter where you work. Doesn't matter if you uh, if you work in the atheist society home office. What you're doing is you want people to experience Jesus as they experience you. You want your workplace to reflect the perfect will of God. You want your workplace to be a place that would bring honor to the name of God, even if people around you don't know it. And here's the thing. Sometimes we don't really believe that if this happens, it would be the best for our workplace. Many times we don't do this because we kind of think, well, my workplace is full of compromise so that if Jesus was really honored in my workplace and if it, if it really was a place that reflected the will of God, then it wouldn't be successful anymore. But that's not true. It's fundamentally not true. The gospel is good for everybody, even if they're not Christians. God's will is good for everybody. You know, if our government was oriented and seeking the things that are above, so that 
the government of the United Kingdom perfectly reflected the will of God, it would benefit everybody in this nation whether or not that person was a Christian. And we really need to believe this, and so often we don't. But Christianity is good for everybody, even those that aren't Christians, when it's woven into the fabric of a nation, when, when it's woven into the fabric of our workplaces, and so on and so forth. And Jesus has the power to bring this all about. So we are to orient our wills, but that's not all. He goes on and he says, Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Not only must our wills be oriented toward the things that are above, but our minds must be fixed on these things. Our minds must be focused on these things. Focus has the ability to change you. You will become like that which you focus on. That's why police officers so often that work in uh, the the serious crimes offices, uh, so often uh, they they get corrupted over time. uh, And they find themselves getting darker and darker and darker. And many uh, almost find themselves getting lost in, in, in this darkness. And why is that? It's because they focus on it so much. And what you focus on has a power in your life. Well, you can, you can know this if you drive at all. I, I, I love to go up to Scotland. It's one of our favorite places. And Karen and I love to drive. And, and on a, a beautiful summer Scottish day, there's nothing quite like it. And I, you know, I can be go around and, and driving on these nice curvy roads. And, and maybe my, my attention gets drawn off to a waterfall. And uh, so I'm looking at the, at the waterfall. And after a few moments, I hear, Rod, 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 Rod. Uh, Karen and I have an agreement, actually. Uh, and that is uh, that she can say whatever she needs to say to keep us from dying when I'm driving. Uh, so I, I'm not like a lot of guys that get really upset if their wives make a comment. Uh, I just I give her permission to say whatever she needs to say. Uh, my only thing is that she has to use words. Because <laughs> I learned early on in our marriage that if she went, it, it could be, wow, that was really beautiful. Or it could be, we're just about to die. Please do something quickly. Uh, and so words are very important. And so, so I know that uh, I don't need those little strips on the side of the road. I know when I'm about to go off the side of the road, I'll hear, rod, 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 And that's what happens. You know, I'm up in Scotland. Oh, isn't that a lovely water? Rod, 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 rod. Oh, sorry. Get back on the road. And, uh, oh, look at that mountain. Rod, 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 rod. Oh, yeah, okay, uh, uh, and that's because what we focus on has a power in our lives. It has an ability to influence us. And so Paul says here, if you are someone who is filled with the resurrection life of Jesus, if you are a Christian, then you need to be orienting your will toward the things that are above and fixing your mind on the things that are above, orienting your, your mind, your mental state on the things that are above. Because if we fix our minds on Jesus, as the writer to the Hebrews says in Hebrews 13, uh, Hebrews chapter 12 rather, there, there is a dynamic that happens inside of us so that we will naturally start doing the things that Jesus wants us to do. Now, many times as Christians, we think that we need to really try hard in order to be a good Christian. Uh, but that just leaves us, leads us into legalism. You don't have to work at being a good Christian because God's grace is all around you. 
What you have to do is simply orient your mind to Jesus. Because if you, fixed, if you fix your mind on Jesus, you will naturally move in Jesus' direction. And you will naturally do the things that God wants you to do because your mind is fixed on Jesus, the resurrection power of Jesus is inside of you, and the Holy Spirit is inside of you. And so if we fix our minds on Jesus, if we orient our minds to the things that are above, we will naturally go after those things. It's not terribly complicated. And interestingly, more and more scientists who are studying the mind and who are studying the power of focus really understand this principle. Whatever you focus on will tend to determine your behavior, your actions, your attitudes, so on and so forth. And so that's what Paul says. If you're raised with Christ, then orient your wills toward the things that are above, orient your minds toward the things that are above, and your living will take on a different dimension, a real power in the gospel. And you will live with power effectively for God and Jesus Christ. But you might say, okay, wait a second here. Uh, that, that sounds well and good. I mean, that's fine. But, but uh, we're in a financial crisis here. Uh, you don't know the environment in my workplace. Uh, you don't know the things that I have to deal with at home. Uh, this sounds kind of pie in the skyish and, and this kind of thing. And, and, and I really do need to look after myself. Uh, I really need to, to, to watch out for things. I've got to watch out for the sin in my life because you, know, you don't know how, how sinful I can tend to be and how I'm struggling with this area or that area or so on and so forth. And, and Paul has a response to every kind of excuse that you want to raise. And it starts in verse 3. He says this, hey, don't worry about it. For you have died. You're dead already. You have died. You've died to sin. You've died to self. All that's been crucified on the cross. And this is the good news here. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. This idea here about hidden, it's what you do to something that is precious. Something that you don't want others to steal. Something that you don't want others to take. Jesus told uh, the parable about a treasure hidden in a field. Or you might remember this in a, in a negative sense in the parable of the talents. Remember the one guy, he had the, the one talent and what did he do with it? He took it and he hid it. He buried it. But the word there is that he hid it. In other words, he protected it. He put it there for safekeeping. And so Paul says here, you can live with this orientation of your will. You can live with this orientation of your mind because your life is hidden with Christ and God. God has protected your life. God has surrounded your life. Nothing can take your life. You know, so often we spend so much time worrying, worrying about the details of our lives, forgetting all the time in our tremendous ability to mess things up. I don't know about you, but I can really, really want to do something right. And most people, whether or not they're Christians, they want to do right things. There are very few people in the world that set out to do something that they think is totally wrong. 
But no matter how we try to do it right, to get it right, we always seem to have this ability to mess it up. Whether it's a relationship, whether it's a job, a promotion, whether it's our savings, whatever it is. And so we can spend all this time and all this energy sweating over all the details of our lives, not orienting our wills and our minds to the things that are above, and in the end, lose both, our lives and the things that are above, and never see the reality of Christ's life come bursting forth into our world, into our lives. And so Paul says, stop worrying about that. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. And this means that not only can you orient your will and your mind to the things that are above, but it also means that you can take risks. You can take amazing risks. Now, when we came to the United Kingdom, uh, it was very easy. We were very happy in the church we were in in the States at the time. Uh, We had a home that was about three times as large as our home is now, a two-car garage. Uh, It was lovely, you know, in the the wintertime, you go into a heated garage and drive into a heated car park to go into a heating shop at Ball. Uh, In the summertime, it was great because you went into an air-conditioned garage, into an air-conditioned car park, into an air-conditioned shopping mall. Uh, didn't have to worry about things unless you wanted to do the, the occasional barbecue and, 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 and all kinds of easy stuff and on a nice career path in the denomination I was part of uh, at the time and, and all those things. And we got this call to come in here to the UK and we knew that it was a risk and we knew that uh, it could all go pear-shaped. We had no idea it was going to be as difficult as it actually turned out to be. Uh, but uh, at the end of the day, it's like our lives were hidden with Christ and God. It was a risk worth taking because no matter the outcome, I knew who I belonged to. I knew who controlled my life. And I knew that he would take me on an adventure uh, like I could never manufacture for myself, which he has done. Your life is hid with Christ in God. And this is ongoing. You know, our dying with Christ is something that's happened on the cross But being hidden with Christ in God is something that never ends. And so Paul tells us, you can risk the orientation of your will and your mind toward the things that are above. Because your life is hidden with Christ in God. And not only that, but also when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Not only do we have this promise that our lives now are hidden with Christ and God, but we also have this promise that when Jesus Christ comes again, we will be like him. We will appear with him in glory. And so our lives are indestructible. Even if we risk it all, and even if our risk leads to death, proclaiming the gospel, living boldly for Jesus, and we're imprisoned or we're, we're martyred, whatever happens... Even then, the worst that this world can offer cannot deprive us of our life. Because Christ, who is our life, will appear. And when that happens, we have the promise that we will appear with him in glory. Uh, We will spend eternity with him with an indestructible life. And that indestructible life of Jesus 
is a life that is for us right now, right here in this place. The resurrection calls us to live boldly for Jesus, to proclaim who he is in the way that we live and in the things that we say, and to have an orientation completely toward Jesus Christ, an orientation of our wills, an orientation of our minds on Jesus, on the things that are above. And who knows? We might be a little bit like Philip that I started with. You know, not long after the story that I related to you, which is a true story, uh, Philip uh, acquired um, an infection, an infection that many people would just fight off, but uh, for Philip, it meant uh, his death. And uh, when they did his funeral, all of the kids in his class came and they brought empty eggs and placed it on his coffin. And even more, Philip has proclaimed the gospel to millions. As the story of this life that most of us would have thought very insignificant, very inconsequential, never destined for Harvard or Cambridge or Oxford, never destined for a Nobel Prize, This life proclaims the gospel. This example proclaims the gospel to millions of people around the world as his story has been told and retold time and time again. And what Jesus did for Philip, he does for all who belong to him. Father God, thank you for the promise that we have of life. Thank you that the empty tomb was the guarantee of this. Father, I pray that you would enable us to have this orientation toward the things that are above in both our mind and our will. Let us be so focused on the things that are above that they become present reality in our workplaces, in our homes, in our nation, in our world. And Father, I pray that you would raise up a people all across London who have this orientation of will and mind toward the things that are above until we see those things that are above become present reality in London and more and more people come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We commit ourselves to you. We honor you, worship, and adore you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.